good, but I guess no one else can. There we go. So backed into a, a corner, she finally responded, well, Jesus should have known better. <laughs> you know, which is, which is funny, but uh, it's going to be really funny for this recording if someone listens to it in the future. They're going to be like, what's the punchline? What was the thing? It's okay. Some things are better just left in time and space. Um, but what do we do when we add so many extra rules and things to the Bible that our faith actually doesn't have room for Jesus anymore? There's a word for this, and this is going to be what we're talking about this morning. It's legalism. Uh, one guy I was listening to on this topic says that legalism is when we take personal convictions that are fine and universally apply, apply them to everybody. Meaning we judge everyone else by personal convictions that we have. Because there's plenty of good reasons not to drink wine or any kind of alcohol. For one, you may not like it. Don't drink it if you don't like it. That doesn't make any sense. Um, or you may have grown up in a family where there was abuse or maybe you yourself abused it. In that case, absolutely abstain from it. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong for everyone. I think we can see this. And it's wrong for us to condemn things for everybody that the Bible tells us are good. Of course, you can look at a hundred different examples of this. We, we end up doing this for all sorts of things. Like growing up, you had to wear a tie or you weren't fit to go to church. Um, clearly, our church does not follow that same logic, which is great and fine because the Bible doesn't tell us we have to wear a tie to go to church. And so we do that in, a, in so many different ways. But uh, I think it's helpful, a present scenario here, to help us imagine what's actually happening in this time with, with Jesus and his encounter with the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees are trying to actually keep the laws of God. Their intention is to keep his law, but to do that, they add to it. And then they make it worse by holding everyone else accountable to their additions to the law. So much so that their additions actually supersede what the original laws were. This is legalism. And of course, this isn't just a, a Pharisee problem. What we find here and what we're going to find is that this is a you and I problem. This is a human problem. Our temptation is that we like to take our rules for ourselves and apply them to everyone. This is because we like it when everything in life is just black and white. Right or wrong, it makes life easy. Uh, when, but, but the problem is much of our life is actually lived out in the gray, which is hard. So much harder because it requires this thing called wisdom. Legalism is so much easier uh, than wisdom because legalism says, listen, if you just do this, you check this box and this box, then you're fine. But the problem with legalism is it actually doesn't lead you to righteousness. It doesn't leave you to being fine. It actually leads you to unrighteousness. It's just another creative way of saying that what God has given his people, what God has established is not enough for us. And ultimately leads us into a self-righteous life. It's so easy for us to fall into this trap. Binding the people's consciences around us by our own preferences and traditions, which might be fine, but are not actually what God has commanded for his people. And what we find in this passage is that this kind of behavior, legalism, is actually abhorrent to God. And leads to our defilement. It leads to us creating a Christianity that has no room for Christ. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to ask three simple questions of our text. The first is this, what... What is legalism? Secondly, why is it so attractive to us? 
And what makes it so dangerous? So first, uh, what, what is legalism? Look with me here back at verse 1 through 4. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with, one of the, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless their hands are washed properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come out from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. So what's happening here is there's, there's this tradition that they have that they pass down from Pharisees to Pharisees in this uh, collection called the Mishnah, which is the, the traditions of the Jewish people. Uh, and part of this tradition was you needed to cleanse your food uh, and your hands, anything that you brought back from the marketplace, uh, to make it clean. This isn't a, a sanitary washing hands. This doesn't get you out of washing your hands when you go to the bathroom or things like that. This has nothing to do with, with COVID. Uh, this isn't a sanitary thing. It's a religious thing. Uh, it's, it's a ceremony meant to keep them from becoming unclean, which for us, we don't really understand because we don't think about cleanliness laws and rules. But for the Jewish people, especially in this time, being unclean is a very big deal. Uh, for a cursory view on how big of a deal this is, read Leviticus 11 sometime. Uh, and it really goes into the depths of like cleanliness laws in the Old Testament. But the reason why this is such a big deal is to be unclean meant you had to remove yourself from, from God's people and God himself. And so to be unclean is not a small thing. And so the Pharisees' desire to, to keep themselves clean, to keep themselves pure, undefiled, is actually a godly desire from his word. The problem is that the thing that they're enforcing here is actually not God's law. It says it's a tradition of the elders. And so what would happen is that they were so worried about breaking God's actual law that they created a, a hedge of protection around themselves by creating a whole set of new laws to keep them from actually breaking the, the real law. For instance, it'd be like me saying, hey, we have this new law. No one can walk through that door. If you walk through that door, you will surely die. If that was true, if you would walk through that door and surely die, you would all admit that that's a good law. We don't want to walk through that door because we don't want to die. Good. No one walked through that door. And let's say, you know, this law stays in effect for 100 years, and then 100 years from now, someone says, you know what? I saw someone getting really close to that door. So I think we need to add to this law to make it better. So instead of going through the door, we're going to say, if you can't get within 10 feet of the door. And then we draw this nice, you know, circle around it so we can't get within 10 feet of the door. And so if anyone now gets within 10 feet of the door, they are now lawbreakers. And the original law is good. It was life-keeping. But now this added law is unnecessarily harsh. I, you see how this works. This is what they were doing with the law in the Old Testament. They didn't want to be unclean. And so they created a set of laws to keep them going anywhere near being unclean. This is legalism. This is adding to God's good and perfect law. You know, at first glance, it might not seem like such a big deal to add to God's law. Uh, many of the traditions that were handed down were good things. Many of the traditions that are handed down throughout church history to even us are, are, are good things. But what makes legalism so insidious is that it takes something that is a, is a good conviction and applies it to everyone and holds everyone else accountable to it. And in it, there's this underlying belief that, that, that says... If we do the right things, 
we will be clean. If I do the right things, I can make myself righteous. And so underlying legalism is is self-righteousness, which says God's laws aren't enough for me, so I'm going to make new ones. I'm going to make myself right. I'm going to make myself clean. And ironically, we're going to find as we go through this, this attempt to self-justify actually makes them like the unrighteous ones they're trying to avoid. Because both the righteous and because both the self-righteous and the unrighteous, neither of them want to want to submit themselves to the laws of God. And legalism is something that we're all prone to. Making judgments of others not based on what God's actually said of us, but by our personal convictions. For instance, if someone was caught in adultery. It'd be right for me to go and to pass judgment on that person. Uh, not judgment in a to- total sense, but to say what you are doing is wrong. You need to stop, come back to Christ, come back to your spouse. It'd be right for me to pass judgment. Why? Because God's spoken on this topic. He has passed judgment. My words are not my own in there. Uh, but it would be wrong for me to say, listen, if you're a Christian, you have to vote this way or this way. Not that there's not good reasons to have a conviction for voting, but it'd be wrong for me to hold you uh, to my convictions on voting because God doesn't tell us who to vote for. Democracy wasn't a thing in the Old Testament. You see how this works. This is legalism. So a follow-up question for us is this. Why do we do this? Why do we love to do this? Why are we all prone to this? Leads us to our, our second question. Why is legalism so attractive to us? And there's three answers in this text for us. The first is this. It gives us control. Get me back with verse uh, 3 to 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups, Pots, copper vessels, dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? You see, these laws are giving them control over others. They're saying, Listen, I get to tell you what's right and wrong. I get to call the shots and determine what is good and what is bad. And at the end of the day, legalism plays into our deep-seated desires to run our own lives. Legalism offers this this control to us as come, take it, come, I know you want it, it's yours, run your life, make rules and control others and make them play by your rules. Legalism is so attractive because it offers us this control. But it doesn't stop there. Also, I think we see in this verse 5 that it also feeds our conceit. They condemned everyone else who didn't follow like they did. And in this it gives them a platform to outperform everyone else. I think all of us are prone to comparing ourselves to others, right? Who's smarter, who's prettier, who's more athletic, who's the best at pickleball, uh, and so on. And so when we struggle with others and, and wondering who's better at us, legalism gives us a platform to be the best. It feeds our conceit. It finally gives you a place to be better than those around you. At last, we find in verse 9 that it is a way that we can get what we want. In verse 9, Jesus says this to them. 
And do you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition? For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother whatever you would have gained from me as Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Jesus is sarcastic, saying, isn't that convenient? You found a way to get what you want. You know, I don't know if I should say this, but, you know, sarcastic Jesus is maybe one of my favorite forms. I think it kind of justifies my own personal temptation towards being sarcastic. But also, it's this kind of change of mode from him that causes you to kind of perk up a little bit and listen. Like, what, is, what, did, he just, what did he just say? He's saying, isn't it convenient that you found a way to get what you want? You know, I'm the youngest of four, and being the youngest, I have a, a skill of being good at finding ways to get what I want, finding the loophole. And what they're doing here is they're finding a loophole to get around one of God's clear commandments, his actual words to honor your father and mother, to get what they want. And this is what it's talking about in this Corbin. Corbin was this tradition where you could dedicate your wealth to God and the temple. Actually, not a bad tradition. I think you all should consider that yourselves. Um, but the loophole in this was that uh, you became exempt from God's good and perfect law, which was to care for your parents. So God's laws are always good and beautiful and true. And this tradition of giving wealth away uh, was not bad, but it was bad because it ended up adding to God's law and giving them a loophole so they didn't even need to obey God's original commands to his people. And this is where we find that any addition to God's law is actually subtraction. And legalism offers you this loophole to give you whatever you want. Nothing will stand in your way. So why is legalism so attractive to us? Because it gives us control. It, it feeds into our conceit. And it helps us to get whatever we want. This is why legalism is such an attractive thing for us. This is what was attractive in the garden this is what's attractive to us today. There's no wisdom required in this. You do this and you will have all that you desire. It gives us what we want. Which is why legalism should scare us. Because left unchucked, we would happily give our lives to it. And so why is this so dangerous? Why is legalism so dangerous? Because of where it leads us. Which is the final question we have is what makes legalism so dangerous? What makes legalism so dangerous? And there's a couple of things here that we find that speak to the dangers of legalism. The first is this, that it takes us far from God. Legalism takes us far from God. Jesus shows us this right here in his first response to them in verse 6. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus is showing us when we hold to the traditions of man over what God has called us, when we give in to this legalism, we end up rejecting God. We end up becoming hypocrites, as he says here. Pretenders. 
Because we can't just check the right boxes and be near to God. And when we do, it actually takes our hearts far from him. It actually draws us away from God where we just honor him with our lips. But in our hearts, we're far from him. I think one of the challenging things here for us is the use of the word heart. You know, in our world context, when we hear the word heart, we often think of feelings. Uh, it's, a, it's a statement of my, my feelings in that moment. I, I, I was feeling it today, so I felt near God. Or next Sunday, I wasn't really feeling it, so I'm not near God. And, and we kind of think our relationship with God ebbs and flows based on our feelings. But that's actually not what Scripture is speaking of here. When Scripture speaks of the heart, it's talking about the seat of the will. All those who are united to Christ are actually near God, whether or not you feel it or not. This is speaking of the, the heart, of the, the seat of the will. It's the deepest parts of who you are. It's the thing that guides everything that you do. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you think that you follow God, but you add to God's law, your heart, your will, is not united to me. I actually don't know you. This is what we call, he calls a hypocrite. And the thing is, we all struggle with sin. And oftentimes we think a hypocrite is someone who's, who says one thing and does another, which in some ways is true. But, but then we're all hypocrites. So what, is, what does it even mean? Because we all struggle with sin. Uh, but what a hypocrite actually is, is someone who adds to the commandments of God. And this is what he calls a hypocrite here. Someone who's adding to the commandments of God. And this you are a hypocrite, you're a pretender. Because to add to God's law makes you out to be a God yourself. And in this, you are a self-worshipper. And legalism is so dangerous because it separates you from God by making you think you know better, which means no one can ever challenge you. So that's the first thing that happens, why this is so dangerous. It, it, it takes you far from God. But secondly, it actually angers God. You know, here in this passage, as Jesus responds to him, they have managed to make the ever-patient God, the slow-to-anger God, angry. The Pharisees are good at accomplishing the impossible. They have upset God. And we find that they're good at this. Well, why is Jesus angry at them, calling them hypocrites, uh, being sarcastic towards them? Simply because they are adding to God's law. Jesus is patient with sinners. He's patient with us when we struggle to obey but we come to him and he draws us to himself. But when we add to his law, he actually comes undone. Why does legalism make Jesus so angry? Because ultimately it steals his glory. You know, Thomas Schreiner, a, a modern scholar, writes that what makes this so dangerous is that in legalism, you are self-justified. Meaning you yourself make yourself right before God. Your own rules and law keeping is what justifies you and makes you right. In that, it means that you get the glory for your own ability to keep the law that you created. But in this, you end up stealing the glory from God. This makes Jesus furious because it says to him, I don't, I don't need you. It robs him of his glory. In verse 13, it tells us that it voids, it makes God's word void. And that angers God, but it actually, the dangers of it don't, don't end there. In this last section, we find that it leads to rotten fruit. The fruit of a legalistic heart is seen in our last section where it ultimately leads to your defilement, which is, when he talks about defilement, he's talking about being ritually unclean. 
which is the great irony. The thing that you thought would make you clean actually makes you unclean. Because the problem doesn't lie out there somewhere, he says, but it actually lies. It isn't the things outside that make you uh, dirty. The problem with legalism is actually your own heart, which is what we see here. Verse 14 through 15, and he called the people to him again and said to, said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It's what comes out of our hearts. Hearts that are either close to God or far away that defile us. It's an issue of the heart. And the Pharisees thought the things from the market were the things that were unclean. They thought if I go into a market, this place where people are false worship, worship false gods, these things will actually make me dirty. But actually, the Pharisees were the ones making God's creation unclean. We are the unclean ones. You know, in our rebellion against God in the garden, we have actually brought the defilement on the entire creation. In the curse, it says, cursed is the ground because of us. We are actually the unclean ones. It isn't the things outside. It's our own hearts that are unclean. We're born into this iniquity. It's so easy for us to blame everything outside of ourselves for our problems. But that's not it. Jesus is saying, listen, you are actually the problem. Your your spouse isn't the problem. Your job isn't the problem. Various social movements happening are not your supreme problem. But you and your heart is actually what's at issue, what's at stake. And when it goes unaddressed... It leads to all sorts of rotten fruit. This list is a list that's opposite to the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 20 through 23, we read this list. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile the person. They defile the person. A heart far from God is what makes us unclean and leads to this fruit. In this, Jesus is calling us to heed this warning. Legalism is rotten. Legalism gives you your heart's worst desires but leaves you in ruins. And if we let legalism fester in our hearts, it will destroy joy in our lives. It will destroy the joy in our church. It will make us all miserable because people who add to God's law are always miserable. Because they're trying to walk with God on their own terms, never good enough, always trying harder, trying to make themselves clean on their own, which is impossible. So God is saying, listen, stop. Legalism is rotten. And a helpful thing, I think, for us then is to be sober-minded about our own personal struggles with legalism. Likely, we all struggle with it in some form or another. I I know I am a recovering legalist that sometimes it rears its ugly head in my own life. And so here's a a few diagnostic questions for us that I borrowed from another pastor about how to to determine, how to know how you're doing with legalism. These questions... um, May we be humble listeners to these questions. The first one is this, for you to consider. Is it more important for you to be right than to be kind? Do you talk more than you listen to others? 
Another one, do you make others feel guilty and condemned? You know, the, the Pharisees were great at this, but they themselves were never humble. Do you make others feel guilty and condemned? Another one, are, are you never able to be happy in a community? And when you have a problem, is it always the community's fault? Here's another one. Uh, I didn't write this question, so it's not as self-serving as it may sound. Uh, do you always listen to preaching in order to critique and not to be fed? Uh, are you relentlessly defensive? You know, we're all defensive. Like when someone challenges you on something, we're going to be a little defensive. But are you relentlessly defensive? Are you ever wrong? Are you mean? Are you mean-spirited? In this list, you know, if we keep on thinking, yeah, that might be me. Yeah, that's kind of me. It's meant to strike a little fear in us. To heed this warning. To turn to Christ, to repent, to lean on his mercies, which are new every morning. The thing that you have been searching for in legalism, right? The thing that it promises, peace, joy, love, and salvation, are not found in that. They're only found in Christ. Not in your strivings, not in your strength, not in your law-keeping, but in his. Because there's nothing you can do to make yourself right. And that's the point of this passage. You can't make enough rules to make yourself clean. You can't do it yourself. Our efforts to do so only make us more unclean. We're like a tire spinning in the mud, digging itself deep into a deeper hole. And that's the point. Jesus is saying, you can't fix your own heart. He's saying, only I can do this work. Christ, who took your strivings, your legalism, your, your strivings for holiness on himself on the cross, because you can never make yourself clean on your own. All the laws in the world couldn't make you more clean. And so Jesus came and was the great law keeper. And when you call on him, he gives you the cleansing that you need. Cleansing that can only come from him, not from your doing, but from what he accomplished on the cross. You know, in science, there's this law where, you know, matter actually doesn't disappear. It just changes forms. And so, you know, if you set a cup of water outside on a hot day, you come back the next day, it might be empty if it's hot enough, right? What happened to the water? Did it just disappear? It's like a magic trick? Well, no, it, it changes forms and it kind of goes up into vapor and it's in the clouds and it eventually comes back down and rains again. It doesn't actually disappear. Um, it just changes forms. Well, in this scenario, your sin is matter. Your defilement didn't just disappear either, but it was actually placed on Christ. He took your sin on himself. He didn't just snap his fingers and make it go away, but he actually paid the price for it. And in this great exchange, he gives us his, his cleanliness, his undefiledness. He turns our, our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And this morning, he is calling you to stop your doing, to rest into his. Rest in his good and perfect law. You don't need to add to it. It is sufficient. Rest in it. Rest in him. May we be a people who do this who lay our self-righteousness and legalism down and, and learn to lean on the ever-mercies of Christ, trusting in his beautiful and glorious word. And may we be a community that abhors legalism and trusts fully in the finished work of Christ that transforms a community of angry legalists into a joyful community united together in Christ. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father.
I pray that you would do a mighty work in our lives, that you would do the work that only you can do, drawing us away from the temptation, from the promises, the false promises of adding to your law. May we resist that temptation. And may we lean fully and trust fully in you and what you have revealed to us in your word. Transform us by the power of your spirit, applying the work of your son to our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.